Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome once again to uh, Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We're working through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This is our City on a Hill teaching series. We'll be looking at verses 33 through 37 this morning. We're calling this weekend's message Integrity. Let me begin with the story. And uh, looks looks pretty decent. Got a little more room in this service. We've been packing out our services. One of, one of the other reasons why we're wanting to do a Saturday night. And uh, so it gives uh, more opportunity for people to... We have a number of people that have to work Sunday mornings. And so that was always a value for us. Before we got booted out uh, Saturday day, we couldn't do the Saturday night over there. Because it interfered with a lot of their activities. And so we're wanting to get back to that. So it'll be a lot of fun to be able to do that once again. You guys are looking awesome this morning. My goodness sakes. What a great day this is. Beautiful day. Let me begin with a, uh, with a story here. A man who is desperate for work applies to a zoo that he's heard has some openings. Well, it's a little unusual, but I do have something, said the zoo director. Our gorilla died some time ago, and we haven't had the money to replace him. If you're willing to wear a monkey suit and impersonate an ape, you've got the job. It it didn't feel uh, terribly authentic, but the man figured a job's a job, and so he signed on. After a few awkward days, he began to get into the spirit of the thing, and soon he became one of the zoo's prime attractions. One morning, he was swinging from one vine to the next with a little too much animation and inadvertently swung himself right over the wall into the cage next to his, which was occupied by an enormous African lion. The man could feel the lion's hot breath on his face. He knew he was a goner. Reflexively, he began screaming for help when suddenly the lion whispered urgently to him, Shut up, you idiot, or we'll both be out of a job. (laughs) So there you go. We're We're talking about integrity, and the more skillful we are at impression management, that is hiding pretense, mask wearing. So the more skillful we are at impression management, the more the healing power of community is diminished and the more we are trapped in our loneliness. Hiding is a curse that came into being after the fall, Genesis 3. You can read about that. As soon as we pushed away from God, it created all sorts of psychological alienation and disturbance within us, and we immediately started uh, covering up, started hiding from God, hiding from one another. And so hiding is a curse that came into being after the fall. Hiding is motivated by shame, involves pretending and deceiving. But here's what we're learning through this series. People gripped by God's grace are different. People gripped by God's grace are different. In fact, uh, Jesus is showing us the difference that he will make in our lives. That's the Sermon on the Mount. We will live different kind of lives. In fact, the key verse is found in 5.16 of Matthew. Let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In fact, you will live such a distinctly different kind of life that people will go, wow, what's up with them? I want what they have. And, and ultimately, you will be pointing to your Father in heaven And one of the ways that we are different, we talked about a couple weeks ago that we're different in how we manage our anger. Talked about murder, anger, deep in our heart. We talked last week about lust, love and lust, the difference between the two. And then now we talk about uh, integrity, honesty, um, authenticity, openness. And so one of the ways that we are different is that we are people of integrity, openness, honesty, and authenticity. So this morning we're going to answer the question, What is integrity? Why is it important? And then how to become a person of integrity? Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Then we'll dive into our text and unpack these notes this morning. Father God, we we know that there is no healing in hiding. And our pretense can make us unable to give, receive, and feel love from you and others. But because we have your love, no matter what, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend to be more than what we are. 
You don't love us because we're lovable. You love us in order to make us lovable. Romans 5, 8 makes that very clear, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. What an amazing thought. What an amazing truth. So we pray this morning that you would sweep us up into your arms of love, dispelling the shame, transforming us more and more into people of integrity, people of openness, honesty, and authenticity about our feelings, faults, and failures for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this text. Now, we added verses 31 and 32 to the text last week as we talked about lust and love, and, and it was appropriate, but we could also add 31 and 32, which is talking about divorce, to this text also. So it's not there just by chance. It really fits in both of those, and particularly this one too, because uh, we're talking about vows, oaths, and he's saying don't violate your marriage vow in verses 31 and 32. And we pick up our reading in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, he's not saying not to take an oath, but he's saying don't take an oath like this. We're going to talk about what, how they were taking oaths. There were different levels of truthfulness as they were taking their oaths. And so that's what he's really talking about, because the whole Bible is filled with oaths. It's filled with, uh, with covenants and love and, and how we should commit ourselves to, to Christ and to one another. And so he's not talking about that, but he's talking about the way that they were doing it here. Verse 37, let what you say to be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or literally the evil one. In other words, he's saying, hey, that's all part of the kingdom of darkness. That's not part of the kingdom of light. And so he's saying, let your yes be yes, your no be no. This is God's word to us this morning. So let's begin with uh, what is integrity, and here's your fill in the blank. It is living for an audience of one, God, 24-7. It's pretty clear in these verses, but for us to really understand what he's talking about here, these different levels of truthfulness, you can go to Matthew chapter 23. Let me just read a couple of verses here, because Jesus goes into more detail and he's actually criticizing the Pharisees because this is what they were doing. Verse 16 of chapter 23 says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? So they, were, they had these different levels of... Uh, there was this legal way of lying, and they had this very clever way of developing these levels of truthfulness, and um, very similar to maybe what you grew up doing, and I grew up doing. See if you can complete this sentence. Cross my heart. So you guys, you guys, how many knew what uh, knew that? Have ever heard that before? Okay, how many ever used it? When you're a kid, yeah. Okay. You guys didn't do as well as the first service. They like were all over that. You guys are kind of hesitant a little bit. So maybe you guys were more truthful than the first service and never used that. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, but that's, I mean, listen to that. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Oh my goodness, that's sick. And yet we would, we would use statements like that to validate what we were saying. In fact, we would even um, take it to a, we kind of elevate to the next level by saying things like, uh, I swear on my mother's grave. Okay, so some of you knew that too. I swear on my mother's grave. Or how about this? Uh, it doesn't count because I didn't have my fingers crossed. So, so what he's saying is what we kind of did growing up. It's, it's very uh, adolescent. It's, it's very uh, childish. They had these different levels of truthfulness. Hey, hey, I made a vow, but it wasn't before God. It was based on the temple or the gold in the temple. Or They were doing all these games. There was a lot of game playing. And what Jesus is saying, don't you realize that all of life is lived before the face of God? And that's the point that he's getting at. So what is integrity? It is living for an audience of one, God, 24-7. 
And, and what should motivate that is, here's your next point, it is being motivated by a life-changing, joyful awe and wonder of the greatness and goodness of Christ ruining you for anything else. And, and basically what I'm defining there is the fear of the Lord. So if you, anytime you read through the scriptures and it says, hey, this is the fear of the Lord, this is what the fear of the Lord is. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a life-changing, life-transforming, joyful awe and wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us that, that ruins us for anything else. Take a look at this uh, verse, look at verse 33. So he says in verse 33, and again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord. So notice each of these, so perform to the Lord, verse 34. It is the throne of God, verse 36, the city of the great king. And so the point is, this is all done before God. Uh, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He's saying that, that's, that's first base, just in knowing God. You're going to have a sense of, 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 of joyful awe and wonder of who God is and what he's done for you that will ruin you for anything else. I heard the story of a guy that really, his, his life blew up after he had committed adultery, gone in for counseling, and he had told the counselor, that uh, he would, when he brought his mistress to his home while his wife was traveling, um, his wife had placed so many of their wedding pictures around the house that he would have to turn them over to keep himself from feeling bad. Now, obviously, he wouldn't bring his mistress to the house if his wife was there, but he brought his mistress to the house and yet there was enough pictures of her around that he felt bad. Why? Because he was violating his vow. Well, this is what you need to understand is that you can't turn God's picture over. You can't turn God's picture over. There is no place where God is not with us. Psalm 139 makes that very clear. So though that made him feel bad, little did he realize that God is always with us, always sees everything that we do. You can't turn his picture over. Maybe you've heard the story of this thief who was casing a house wanting to break in. He waited long enough. He felt like the people were gone. It was late at night. He broke into the house, had a flashlight. As soon as he gets into the house, he hears this voice. It kind of startled him at first. And it said, Jesus sees you. He's like, what was that? He thought, oh, maybe I'm just hearing things. And he went a little bit further and he heard this voice again. Jesus sees you. It's like, wow, that's a, that really is a voice in here somewhere. He started shining his flashlight around. And lo and behold, there was a parrot over in the corner that was saying, Jesus sees you. He thought, oh, it's just a parrot. Oh, thank goodness. So he flipped on the light. And he, in his horror, he saw a Doberman ready to pounce on him. And the last words he heard from the parrot was, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> now, now, oftentimes when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we think of uh, the fear of the Lord as sick him, Jesus. God's going to get me. God's going to get me. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, is not being afraid of the pain my sin or God will cause me for doing wrong. But it's, it's really the fear of the Lord is, is being afraid of the pain my sin will cause God after all he's done for me. You guys tracking with me on that? That he gave his life for me. Now listen to me. He wants the very best for me. And when I do that which is contrary to his word, I'm trampling on his love and wisdom. Now, I asked this, the first service this, and they, they, they had to correct me because I said, how many know what I'm talking about when I say rubbernecking? And the guy said, hey, yeah, we know what rubbernecking is, but there was a different kind of rubbernecking. There's a rubbernecking when you're going down the road, and there's an accident, and everybody rubbernecks, and they slow down the traffic. But there's another kind of rubbernecking that, that it's more of... Uh, what guys do when they see gals walk by. You guys familiar with that? You guys know what I'm talking about there? That's the rubbernecking I'm talking about. So I just wanted to uh, verify that. And it's one of, one of the reasons why I've never rubbernecked and I won't rubberneck and, uh, is not so much because my wife is there and if she were around and see me, uh, she would hurt me. That's not why I don't rubberneck. 
And by the way, she, she could hurt me. And uh, you know what? She's not in the service, and so maybe I could just pour out my heart to you since we're talking about integrity. And I could really use some help uh, because uh, my wife, uh, no. You know, I'm, not, I'm not actually really even concerned about her hurting me. I'm more concerned about what my actions would do to her and how they would hurt her. Because she's my standard of beauty. And when I said I do, I was saying I only have eyes for you. And I love you. And I'm committed to you. And not only that, that's uh, objectifying women, turning them into pieces of meat. And that's wrong. But even there's something much deeper. There's much, something much deeper than just hurting my wife. I don't want to hurt my Lord who loves me and gave his life for me. And he's always there with me. And I love that. And so there is this joyful awe and wonder of who he is and what he's done that I don't want to sin against him because I know that it's a dagger to his heart. It's a trampling on his love and wisdom and what he wants and what he has for my best interest. And so here's the next point. It is making God the end, not the means to the end. So we're talking about integrity. So living for an audience of one, God, 24-7, it is being motivated by a life-changing, joyful awe and wonder of the greatness and goodness of Christ, ruining us for anything else. And then it is making God the end, not the means to the end. Now, I want you to turn to the folks next to you and see if you know the difference because I think this is really important for us to know. Because you could actually be coming to church and, and make God a means to an end rather than the end. Our natural inclination is to make him a means to an end. That's just part of our sinful nature that if we don't totally reject God, we're going to use him to, for our advantage. And so turn to the person next to you and see if they know the difference. What's the difference between the two? Whether God is the end or a means to an end. How would you know the difference in your own life? Real quick, do that. You guys are awfully quiet in here. You guys, you, you guys figuring it out? What, is that, what would be the difference? What would be the difference between the two? Here's the difference. Here's a couple of ways that I'm able to identify it in my own life. Is that my tendency is that if my prayer life, if the only time my prayer life really kicks up into full drive is when bad things are happening to me, it's probably because I'm using him and I'm really missing I'm missing the most important part of the Christian life, and that's having him in my life. And so when I find myself running to him, and there's nothing wrong with running to him when bad things are happening, but you should have already been running to him because he's the best thing that's ever happened to you. He's more desirable and more magnificent than anything you could ever dream or imagine. But the tendency is like, wow, things are really going bad. I better get back to church. You're using him. Why weren't you in church before that? Why weren't you pursuing him and following him and loving him before that? Now, I'm not saying there's anything, there's nothing wrong with that coming back to you. Yeah, you do. The reality is, is that his love is better than life. And whatever it is you're about ready to lose and you're being threatened by, he's so much better. Maybe your world wouldn't be nearly as rocked if you understood that. And, um, but here's another way that I, I'm able to find out if I'm really using him is uh, my attitude when suffering happens. How do you respond? Do you respond like, God, I went to church, I read my Bible, we did everything right, my kids went south and this happened and oh, I'm mad at God. And there's a lot of people that defect from the faith because they're, they're disillusioned by the pressures of life and typically it's because they've been using God He's a means to an end rather than the end. This is how you know that he's the end. Is that the more you understand the grace of God, the more you feel eternally indebted to him, regardless of the good, bad, or ugly that happens to you in your life. You have a sense of wow and awe and wonder. And yeah, even if my life doesn't go well, I've got him. I've got him in my life. You guys tracking with me on that? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So, so that, that anger towards God is put to the side you, because you just expect it to live, because you live in a fallen world. Some of it we bring onto ourselves. Others of it is just the fact that we live in a fallen world. But the fact is, is that God, I know 
that you never promised me, promised me a painless or problem-free life, but you did promise me your presence, your power, and your peace, regardless of what I'm going through. And so you are forever indebted. See, see, you can see the difference. Someone that's using God is a God owes me kind of an attitude. I did all these things, and this is what's happening to me? Versus, no, I forever, oh God, I love him. I can't believe that he's in my life. You guys tracking with me? That's, that's big. That's big. And what that tells me is that I'm not living with that fear of the Lord. I'm, I'm out of touch with the, the amazing grace of God. And so that's why having integrity, it is living for an audience of one. It's, uh, it's being motivated out of a life-changing, joyful awe and wonder, fear of the Lord. And then it is making God the end, not the means to the end. Now, let me give you uh, some integrity questions, okay? Just to see where you are with this integrity um, how many, uh, if you're familiar with math, I didn't do so well in math in school. And, uh, but as it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is telling us something about integrity in general and truth telling in particular. And if you understand math, you know that integer, how many are familiar with that word integer? You guys know what that means? What does that mean? Whole, whole number as opposed to a fraction. Yeah, somebody out there knew that, maybe a few of you. So a person without uh, integrity is fractured. A person with integrity is whole. And so let me give you some questions. Do you say one thing, but do another? You tell people, oh yeah, 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 I'll be there. You don't even show up. Forgot about it as soon as you said, you just made the promise, but you didn't even really plan on following through. How about this one? Number two, do you say you believe one thing, but you're really thinking another? Are you one way in public, but another way in private? This was always really, really important for me as a pastor and, and as leaders here that somehow I would get up and teach and then in the background at my home front, something completely, totally different was happening. That's wrong and that's a lack of integrity and that a lot of ministries blow up because of that. That's why it's important for you to be able to ask my wife, what kind of a dude is he behind the scenes? And that she would be upfront about those things and that we hold each other accountable Number four, are you one way around extreme Democrats? <laughs> President Obama is the best, man, but totally different around extreme Republicans. President Obama is the worst. You know, it might not, just, it might not be, you know, these different parties and these two extremes. It could be any number of things. When you're with certain people, you tend to cave in, become more like a chameleon. Number five, are you different online than you are in person? You're lying online. You tell people like it is. And then when you get in person, it's like, you're lamb. What's interesting about our American culture, and this is a value in our American culture. Life is not about finding yourself. It is about creating yourself. It's about branding, marketing, selling yourself. That's why there's so many uh, products that are misrepresented out there. Everything is used in such a way. I mean, you'd think a lot of uh, products like beer. If you're not drinking their kind of beer... Uh, you're not cool like the rest and you're not having as much fun as these folks are having. Or here's an interesting one is the, uh, the Fiat. Hopefully nobody here has a Fiat, but uh, I'm about ready, to, about ready to hammer your car. But the, those Fiats, they're, they're just little junky little cars. Okay, if you bought a Fiat, I understand. But it's not as sensual and sexy as the commercial says it is, okay? Isn't that interesting that they make it, they, they, they make it look, oh, and I, I've noticed a lot more Fiats out on the road because of those commercials. Somehow we're identifying and they're selling this product and remaking the product. That's the society we live in. And that's why people have no problem padding resumes, adding facts to bios, falsifying academic research, misrepresenting facts and doing journalism and business deals. But the fact is, God is omnipresent. Therefore, when you make an oath, you're making it before God Almighty. We live all of life before the face of God. Now, let's, uh, let's talk about why is it important. A lack of integrity destroys human identity, human dignity, human community, and puts you on a collision course with reality. Let's talk about these things. And let me give you a couple verses here. Ephesians 4.15, it actually tells us that we are to speak the truth in love. Anybody familiar with that verse? 415, where it says, speak the truth in love. Does it, do you guys remember what it says, why we should do that? Anybody? So that we can do what? So that we can, so that we'll grow. We'll grow and mature. 
If you're not in a relationship where there's this mutual uh, giving of truth and love, you're not really in much of a relationship. And uh, there's not going to be much growth in that relationship as, as you work through the issues in your life. And then it says in Ephesians 4.25, the reason why we want to make sure that we speak the truth is because we're all brothers and sisters. We're all in the, in the family together, so to speak. And it creates this, what did we say about that word integer versus fractured? Yeah, you fracture relationships when you're dishonest. And so why is it important? A lack of integrity destroys human identity. You are a unique, one-of-a-kind original. And what happens is that our tendency is to cave in to the peer pressure around us. And so, uh, so what we have to do, how many would say by show of hands that you tend to be a people pleaser? Show of hands, people pleaser. Okay, this is for you. What happens is that our, our sense of identity gets lost in the opinions of others. And that you and I that struggle with that, we have to give up trying to please everyone in our life. And we have to pursue the courage to express what we truly value, enjoy, and love, even if others disagree or disapprove. So a lack of integrity destroys human identity. God made you a -a one-of-a-kind original. He broke the mold after he made you. Because he wanted one just like you and you have an ability to touch people's lives in ways that no one else can. But if you just cave in to everybody else's ideas and thoughts and opinions, then you're not being you. So it destroys your identity, but it also destroys human dignity. When you lie to someone, you're exploiting them. You're using them. Now, let me tell you. There's a place for guarded communication. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, so that it might benefit those that hear. This is an appropriate time. And and yes, you shouldn't tell Aunt Edna that her lima bean, spam, Velveeta cheese, raspberry jello salad sucks. Okay? Uh, And that the dog won't even eat it. There's some things just you're better off to, to go unsaid, okay? There's some situations where you have guarded communication. But for the most part, we should be authentic with all, but deep disclosure with a few trusted friends. Authentic with all, but then we should have a few close trusted friends where we can kind of share the deeper issues of our lives. Here's the next one, community. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. There's no healing and hiding. Here's what I know about us. This is what I know about you. You are more sinful than you ever dared to think. Every one of us here. And guess what else I know about you? Is that you are more loved than you ever dared to dream. And because of those two truths, that's the cross. Because of those two truths, there should never, ever, ever be towering or cowering within the body of Christ. That when you come in and hang out with other Christians and you start sharing your heart with them, and if any of them ever come off like they're superior to you, they don't understand grace. They don't understand grace. All of us are desperate for the Savior. All of us need him. And so the tendency sometimes is we don't share things that are going on in our life because, because people tower over us. They use that against us. Or, or we cower. We tend to cower. And, and that will eliminate both no superiority or inferiority, but just a blessed self-forgetfulness because we're so captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. That should be what people experience when they come in here and hang out with us. Grace levels the playing field. And by the way, you need a cradle of security for your moments of vulnerability. My wife, and you've heard this story before, I thank God for her that she hung in there for such a long time. She did not feel safe in sharing anything with me. And by the way, that creates this lack of uh, community. And so she felt like if she shared certain things with me, I would go right through the ceiling, which I did. And so then she had to talk to me about the fact that she couldn't share anything with me. And I went through the ceiling over that. I mean, it was like a no-win situation, but she was persistent. She loved me. She continued to talk with me, and she uh, continued to create a a cradle of security. She would say, hey, I love you. I'm for this marriage relationship. 
And I, that's the context. So she kept reinforcing that love, cradle of security, for our moments of vulnerability. And, and so that as she became vulnerable about her own issues, she didn't come off full of, you know, condescension and commanding and con- uh, condemning me. She was very humble about it. It took time to break down my pride where I began to see, yeah, 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 you're right. I need that. I need to hear that. And vulnerability begets vulnerability. And when you got people in a small group and you begin to share your heart, it opens up other people to share their heart. And then it draws people much closer. And then we realize, hey, guess what? We're all on the same team and we're all desperate for Jesus. We need him. But, but if you ever come into a small group and you kind of look down your nose at someone, you go, oh, gee, they're really messed up. I got to find a better group than this. This is messed up. You're living out of touch with the reality of your own fallenness. Why would you ever have that attitude if you've really encountered Christ? You're not going to have that attitude. You don't understand grace. And I pray to God that he would reveal your sinfulness to you. Because you need to see that so that you will run into his arms of love and know all that he, he has for you. And, um, and so it, it does a number on community. You're, you're not going to have intimacy if, if you're not being open with one another. You're not speaking the truth in love and sharing those things. And I thank God that she hung in there with me and, uh, and we continued to work through that. And uh, we have a relationship unlike we, we've ever had because of that. And, it's, and it should be the same in, in our small groups and here at Desert Breeze. And it puts you on a collision course with reality. Integrity is about acknowledging openly when I get something wrong. Boy, I had a hard time doing that. I'm not wrong. You're the one that's wrong. You're the one that's all messed up. This marriage would be much better if you could just get your act together. That sounds good, huh? Praise God. I want to be married to him. That's messed up. Integrity is about acknowledging openly when I get something wrong instead of giving in to the temptation to hide it or manage it or put a positive spin on it. I really believe the thing that turns people away from Christianity is not our moral blunders. It's our lack of courage to confess them and make things right. That's our bigger issue. And uh, the irony of masks is that although we wear them to make other people think well of us, they are drawn to us only when we take them off. It's when we open up our lives. That's when people begin to draw closer to us. Now, let me give you six kinds of lies. And uh, let me ask you this question too. If you knew that everything you said and did tomorrow was going to be videotaped and then put on the internet for everyone to see... Would it make any difference in how you speak and what you do? I mean, I'm sure most of us would all say, of course it would. It'd make a major difference. Then we're probably lacking integrity because God is always with us. You're not living in the reality of his omnipresence. And uh, it, it just, it comes back to that, that whole idea. I'm, I'm living for an audience of one. If someone is always with you that you love, it does bring accountability, but it also fills your life with love and joy. I am thankful that he's always with me and that he loves me. Let me give you uh, some questions here. Here are six kinds of lies. Political lies, not just that which politicians speak, uh, which they do a number of those, but uh, political lies. I would love to go, but I'll be out of town. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't love to go, and you might not be out of town, okay? And so that's the, that would be a political lie. We're just trying to push somebody back. Oh, I would love to go to your party. No, you really wouldn't. And so we kind of do those kind of things. Here's another one. I think your writing is too sophisticated for people when in reality it's just the opposite. It's incoherent. I mean, you can't even understand it, but you, put, you made it sound like it was much better and bigger than what it really is, but it's a way of putting people back. How about this one? Maybe you've heard this before. You, you're, you're overqualified for this position. And you're desperate for a job. I'll take any job. I don't care whether I'm overqualified or not, but sometimes we do that to push people away. Those are political lies. And then there's exaggeration lies. You always, you never... Uh, couples love doing that. I mean, I used to do that all the time. And I would use those. And that's, this is not a matter of getting truth across, but beating the other person up. I actually heard uh, an executive pastor uh, tell me that uh, anytime he came up with numbers and they were shooting for certain numbers on their weekend services or their big events, uh, he would, uh, the senior pastor would ask the executive pastor to make sure that they got those numbers. 
whether or not they actually have those numbers because we want everybody to really be happy about the fact that we hit our numbers. It's like, it's not about numbers, but he was just, he was, that's the games that uh, sometimes pastors and leaders play. We're not going to play those games here. We, we, we refused when we started this church to play any of the, those kind of games. And then there's word inflation. It was incredible. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. And after a while, your words lose credibility. How many have ever been recommended to a movie and the people said, this is the best movie ever. And you went to it. It was a real dud. Show of hands. And so you're careful about recommending movies, aren't you? Because you know that everybody's a little bit different. Everybody's going to see things differently. And so you've got to be somewhat careful. And then there's benevolent lies. Everyone is afraid to tell this person the truth. I've been in church settings where everybody was afraid to tell the pastor that his kids are out back smoking and selling drugs to the other kids. It's like, what? Tell him. Tell me. My kids are all grown and gone, but it could be my grandkids. I will blister their hind ends. (laughs) I mean, I want to know that stuff, but, but everybody walks around in eggshells. We don't want to tell anybody this. It's like, you need to tell them. Be honest. Be upfront. But do it. Do it with love. And by the way, this is what I see happen oftentimes. People get into small groups and God puts us in there and then we have conflict and then we run to another group thinking we're going to find another group and then another group and another group and then finally it's it's not the group, it's this whole church and then you go to another church and you're going to find yourself doing the same thing and then eventually you just don't even go to small groups or you don't even go to another church and in the meantime, God has been trying to work in your life through that conflict, to increase your maturity and intimacy, not only with him, but with others. But, but uh, benevolent lies, everyone is afraid to tell this person the truth. And then Watergate lies, the little people wouldn't understand. And then there's routine business lies, saying everything is fine when in reality it's not. And, and this uh, executive pastor told me that they would actually inflate their financial numbers. And he would say, hey, when we present our finances, make sure that everything's in the black rather than in the red. And there's no way that we would ever do that. And, and this is what's so amazing about Desert Breeze is that anytime we've had problems, we've had issues, and we've brought it before our body. And uh, I know that the elders wouldn't let me do that here. They would say, no, you need to tell people and people need to take, account, uh, uh, take responsibility for it. But let me tell you this about Desert Breeze. Every time that we've ever had any kind of issues and we brought it before our congregation, you guys have stepped up to the plate amazingly because i know that you guys aren't afraid of the truth you're not afraid to say hey let's take a serious look at the issues here and see what's going on and so so that's that's all part of it now let's talk about how do we become people of integrity here it is you must be willing to pay the price for truth you must be willing to pay the price for truth verse 33 he says you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The word perform here means to keep or it means this, to pay. It means to pay. The reason we don't tell the truth is because we are unwilling to pay the price. There's an interesting movie and maybe you've seen this movie. Jack Nicholson is in this movie. It's titled A Few Good Men and there's this, there's this scene where he makes this statement. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know that, that famous statement from that movie about truth. Real quick, do that. Okay, what is it? Yeah, I mean, he goes like that. You can't handle the truth. It's like... And that's true. That's true. We have a tough time handling the truth. We really do. I had a tough time handling the truth from my wife. It took a long time for it to just to to work on my pride. And uh, how do we do that? The price will be the sacrifice of temporal acceptance and security. The price. And so you must be willing to pay the price for truth. The price will be the sacrifice of temporal acceptance and security. Notice I put in there next to that in parentheses, acceptance has to do with compliant, being a compliant person. And uh, security has to do with being control. So there's two types of people. All of us would fit into one of these uh, general categories. There are compliant people. And then there are more controlling people. I tend to find myself in both of those categories just depending on the people that I'm dealing with. Yes, thank you very much. I'm bipolar and uh, a little schizophrenic. But, uh, but that's, I, if you really look at your life, you'll find yourself, see, compliant is more, if I tell the truth, they won't like me. 
I would be more of that compliant. If I tell the truth, they won't like me. Or the control is, if I tell the truth, I'll lose control. So the, the compliant people don't mind being at a disadvantage as long as people like them. But control people don't mind if people don't like them, just they don't want to be at a disadvantage. They want to be in control of the situation. Does that make sense? You guys track it with me? So our tendency is to go to one extreme or the other. It's either about, it's either about acceptance or security. We're either compliant or in control of the situation. The price is that it disturbs our identity in a temporal way in acceptance and security. What will make us secure enough to always pay the price to tell the truth? Here it is. It's the next thing on your notes. Jesus was stripped naked so that we would be clothed with his righteousness. In John 18, we see Jesus speaking the truth and they struck him and he said, why did you strike me for telling the truth? And then we see that as he is crucified on the cross for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that uh, we might become the righteousness of God, that we might have his righteousness. Jesus paid the price for our lack of integrity. Jesus told the truth and was crucified so that when we don't tell the truth, we would be forgiven. And we don't like telling the truth because it strips us naked, makes us vulnerable. It, we, it rids us of the acceptance and the security that we think that we need. But because we have his love no matter what, we don't have to pretend to be more than what we really are. You have his love. You have everything you need in him. Therefore, you don't have to pretend to be more than what you are. One of my temptations is oftentimes I'll get around uh, other pastors. And it wasn't too long ago I was doing a funeral at a very, very large church, big mega church in the valley. And, and I was doing this uh, funeral service with two of the largest churches in the valley. And it was, I was appalled, first of all, that they would even be doing this in the green room. But they were talking about how big their church was. And I knew it was going to come around to me. And they were going to say, hey, how big is Desert Breeze? Because here's guys that are from churches that are 10, 20,000. So, so how do you think I responded? I said 40, 50,000. <laughs> yeah. You got 20? I got 30. You got 40? I got 50. No, that was my tendency, but I was thinking, wait a minute. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My sense of identity is not somehow wrapped to to how big this church is or what our, you know, our resources are or all that. But see, that's what these guys were talking about. I'm thinking, this is a funeral, guys. We're going to tell people the gospel. There are people out there that desperately need to hear about Jesus. And, and you guys are talking about how big your building is. It's just like, oh my goodness, Lord, help me. Help me not to fall prey to that. I mean, I could very easily fall into that and start talking about the same thing, saying, hey, yeah, well, we're this size or that size or whatever. We're doing this. And it's like, man, I, God, help me to stay focused because I know that people need to hear you. And it's so easy to fall prey to that. I mean, I can fall right into that trap so easily. Where I get around pastors with bigger churches, I kind of cower. When I'm around pastors with smaller churches, I tower. Woo-hoo! As if my identity is wrapped up in that. That's crazy. Jesus died for me. But you do the same thing. Just figure it out what you do that with. It could be your house, your car. could be your marriage. could be how your kids have turned out or didn't turn out. Could be any number of things. We all do that. We all attach our sense of identity to something that's temporal. And therefore, that's why we fudge the truth. That's why we lie. That's why we are not very honest. But this is what Jesus was stripped naked so that we would be clothed with his righteousness. And that we have his love no matter what. And therefore, we don't need to pretend to be more than what we really are. I love the story of, uh, of Adam and Eve because it just, it, it's, a, it's a mirror of all of us. Remember when God came in the garden after they sinned? What was the first thing? They were naked and unashamed and then immediately they sinned. And so it goes from this spiritual alienation to immediate psychological alienation. They're immediately covering up, hiding from God and hiding from one another. That's what we do. It's the game we play because we're messed up psychologically because we were meant to come face to face with the living God and find our identity in him. But when we push him away, we try to find it elsewhere and it creates all sorts of problems. And so what was the first thing that God said as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day? He said what? Where are you? Now when an omniscient God asks the question, where are you? It's not for his sake, is it? No. 
It's for our sake. It's for our sake. And he's asking this morning, where are you? Where are you? Where's your sense of identity? Where are you building your sense of identity? That's a great question. Where are you? Adam responds, I heard. I heard you. And I was afraid. So I hid. And God asked, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And Adam reflects on the importance of taking personal responsibility for his actions, summons his courage, and responds, the woman you gave me. I love that. Yes, I can relate, Adam. It's the woman he gave me too. My life would be so much better if it wasn't for my wife. Yeah, right. Uh, And you know that's messed up. See, what we do is we hide, and when we have to come out from hiding, we... We hurl, we, we blame shift, we, we, hey, well, well, it's my chromosomes, it's my conditioning. They put the diapers on too tight when I was a little boy and I've never been the same or, or it's my circumstances and I'm not minimizing any of those. Those can certainly influence your life, but I'm telling you, they don't control your life and that's what God was trying to call Adam on. He's saying, listen, where are you? Where are you? You've walked away from me the source of life and love and liberty. And now you're trying to do it on your own and it's gonna make a mess of things, not only of your own life individually, but of your relationships. And that's what he was trying to do. That's where he was trying to get him to come to. And I I love those words, where are you? Those are not the words of a tyrannical dictator, but of a loving father pursuing his lost children. So that brings us to the last point here. So you have all the acceptance, security, and Christ you'll ever need to both hear the truth without defensiveness and speak the truth with love. You know why people are defensive when you speak truth to them? And, and I, it took me a long time to learn this. It's because they're insecure. And I was, I was very insecure when my wife would speak truth to me, so that defensiveness, so she kept working with that cradle of security. I'm going to keep coming at you. I love you. I love you. I love this relationship. I'm for us, but we need to talk about these things. And she kept building that good, solid foundation in the context of love so that we could, we could do that. And so when people are defensive, just remember that. And we speak the truth with love because Jesus showed integrity By not giving up when he suffered on the cross for us, therefore he will never give up on us. Uh, Boy, how many times have you heard this one? Romans 8, 31 and 32. I mean, that's that's a favorite verse of ours here at Desert Breeze. He did not, uh, he says, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? If God didn't withhold from us his very own son, now listen to me, he did not withhold from us his very own son. Think about the implications of that. If he didn't withhold from us his very own son, will God withhold anything we need? No, no. He will take care of us. He loves us. You have all the acceptance and security in Christ you will ever need to both hear the truth without defensiveness and speak the truth with love. Because he stayed true to us to the end, we can stay true to him to the end and be people of integrity. Now, let me give you just some final thoughts as a pastor. This is a great series for us. It's really foundational. It's really Jesus showing us the kind of people he wants us to be right here. Desert Breeze Community Church on I-17. Let your light shine before men so they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, as we've talked about integrity, here's, here's the part I want you to take away from this. The belief that I must clean up to merit God's presence isn't Christianity. And I talk to a lot of people all the time. I invite them to Desert Breeze. Oh, I'm a mess. I got to get my life together. The walls will come caving in if I darken the door of the church. How many have ever heard people say those things before? How many have ever thought those things before? I'm a mess. I shouldn't even go to church this week. I've lived such a terrible life. Listen, that's not grace. That's works righteousness. That has nothing to do with Christianity. The belief that I must clean up to merit God's presence isn't Christianity. It's his presence by grace through faith in Christ that does the cleaning up. That's what brings the life change. You have his presence based on his grace. It's a gift. It's not based on your works righteousness. It's not based on your performance. Can you believe that? That's crazy. You have his love no matter what. 
Now, I said that because if that's true, this means that the church, Desert Breeze Community Church, will be filled with immature and broken people who still have a long way to go emotionally, morally, and spiritually. It's going to be full of messy people in process. And we got to be cool with that. We got to be cool with that. Huh? Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. We want this to be a safe place. If there is ever any towering or cowering, it's because we don't understand the grace of God. Here's the message of the cross. Come as you are. Come on, run. Run into his arms of love. He has paid the price in full for everything that you need to live life to its fullest in his name. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Next week, we're gonna talk about loving your enemy. Woohoo! That'll be fun. Have any enemies? Anybody have any enemies? Yep, 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 yep. We, have, we all probably have some enemies in our life, and we're gonna learn how to do that next week. He's gonna teach us how we can do that. God, thank you so much this morning for this message. And uh, God, we, we tend to play a lot of games. We hide, we blame shift, and uh, God, help us to learn to live for an audience of one, you, 24-7, motivated out of a life-changing, joyful awe and wonder, not you as a, as a means to an end, but as the end of our life, our most satisfying reality. Help us to see that, that integrity, lack of integrity, destroys human identity and dignity and community and puts us on a collision course with reality. And so, God, let us see that you were stripped naked so that we could be clothed with your righteousness and that we have all the acceptance and security we'll ever need in you to hear the truth without defensiveness and speak the truth with love. God, may we learn to live with this blessed self-forgetfulness so captivated by your beauty and glory that we would be thinking more and more about you and helping others to come and know you by your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.